It's been a few weeks since I've preached, and so I'm, I'm really grateful to, to be here. Um, this, we didn't do scripture reading today because uh, we love the church too much to have someone try to pronounce all the names <laughs> that are in Genesis chapter 10. Um, Genesis chapter 10 is one of those chapters that I have truly never heard a single person say, oh, I love that chapter. Uh, but I, I think I will be saying that in the future. Um, I think there are 1,139 chapters in the Bible or something like that. And um, one of the interesting things about the Bible is that we have committed that every single word is the word of God. Um, if you're ever like, man, I wish I could just hear from him. I would give anything just to have a conversation with him. Um, that, that is actually what we have here. Is, is to truly hear from him. He, and he speaks to us in special ways. Even our prayer time uh, before the service, which anybody's welcome to come at 9.15, and we, we spend about 30 minutes just praying for our gathering and what God might do in this gathering. We, we've been spending time at the beginning, actually, just because prayer so often just feels like it's us just, oh, good, I'm going to come and just start talking to God. Um, and re, uh, what we've been actually part of our prayer is just listening. We spend minutes uh, just listening because it's like, well, what if God actually would, would, would counsel us in the ways that we should pray into this morning? And that actually being more of a conversation where we actually listen and talk, listen and talk. And um, we, were, we were praying about, about this chapter um, and recognizing that, that the Bible is a book for us to learn. The Bible is a book for us to gain knowledge, but every single verse, every single chapter of the Bible is designed for our transformation, that we would not just know things about God, but that we'd be changed walking with him. And so he, every verse has been written with that in mind, and with, when I first read Genesis chapter 10, I'm like, okay, I know these things about the Bible, now, God, you got to show me how are we changed by this chapter? Not looking for things that aren't there. That is us reading into things that, that uh, that's just not the way we're supposed to approach the Bible. But instead, to, to read the Bible, let the Bible read us and be changed by it. And I've been struck by, even in this chapter, how it is filled with treasures to transform us. Um, so we'll be in Genesis chapter 10, starting at verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Doesn't mean that they didn't have any daughters. Uh, just the way that legal things happened in that time period and different things, that, that there, there is a focus in God speaking of the men We'll see many women be used by God in incredible ways uh, throughout Scripture and throughout the book of Genesis. Um, there is an emphasis here on the sons that were born to these three sons um, after the flood. So Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 2, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togarmar, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Katim, and Dodanim, 
From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. So just to remember, every human being has been killed in the flood. Every human being has been killed in the flood except for Noah and his family. So what that means is that every person on the earth is a descendant of Noah. Every human being. And it's like, you expect me to believe that? Yes. Were people who are reading the book of Genesis supposed to believe that? Yes. It's communicated to us so that we would know these things. So this chapter is starting to share how from this family, it's like, well, how did, how did everybody get here? Like, my family went to Hawaii recently, and I was fascinated to see that it was like 500 AD that they thought people first got to Hawaii. It's like, wow, that's a really long time for this to be an uh, unpopulated island, you know? Um, but it, it's like, okay, how from this one family did nations make it throughout the entire earth? And there's a unique thing about the Bible that's called falsifiability, okay? Um, it's, I know it's a big word. It's a fun word to say once you get the hang of it. Falsifiability flows well. Um, but what does falsifiability mean? So an example, and this might make it seem like I'm throwing my daughter on the bus, but I think she'll come out as being seen better than me. Last night, I got a text followed up by some phone calls that, uh, that Hannah and Silas were coming home from the Ignite conference that some of our youth were a part of over the weekend, and they just couldn't make it up our driveway. Um, tried many times to make it up our driveway, couldn't make it up our driveway. Um, I was tired, but I was like, okay, I'm going to come in my four-wheel drive truck. And, um, and so my first attempt was just let me drive the van, you know, I'm seasoned at this. I've got the skill. Like, I was like, just get in the back seat, watch and learn, you know, <laughs> how I approached it. And uh, I made it about two-thirds as far as Hannah could. <laughs> no joke. Like, I was like, okay, why don't you start driving again? So she tried a couple more times. She would have made it up, but I had my, my truck parked at a place where at one time she had enough momentum to make it, but she had to slam on the brakes so she didn't run into my truck. But then I end up getting my four-wheel drive truck lined up. We put the, a tow rope, and together we went up the hill together um, and made it home. Uh, there was one time where I remember, like, I used to think, this is why I live in Iowa. I love this. <laughs> I had the distinct thought last night, I don't think this way anymore. <laughs> As I'm, like, on my knees being like, how do the Honda people not design a vehicle more easy to tow, right? Like, like, where am I supposed to put this tow strap, and how am I supposed to reach that far underneath the car when it's, you know, it's inches of snow? Um, and then I realized, well, like, they're probably like, well, people shouldn't live in places like this. So, you know, so all of that information, if you believe that, you will have everlasting life. So consider that statement. Okay? If you believe everything I've just told you, you will have everlasting life. So I gave you a falsifiable statement. You could say, Does Tim live in Iowa? 
was the weather bad yesterday? Was the weather bad enough that, it would, that there would be snow? Does Tim have a daughter, Hannah? Did they go to the Ignite conference? Um, did they come home from the Ignite conference at a time when the weather would have been bad? Um, is it true that Honda vans are hard to find a place to latch onto where you don't think you're going to break something that's plastic, you know, when you're trying to tow it? Um, does Tim have a four-wheel drive truck? Does he have a tow rope? You know, like, there are, I gave you a lot of things that are, what I would say is that the term is falsifiable. They could be proven false, okay? Now, still, you would say, well, I'm still not sure if believing that gives me everlasting life, but you did give me a lot of things that I could check the facts, okay? Now, what if I, what if I told you I had a dream that my daughter couldn't make it up our driveway, and in that dream, I got my truck, and I did this stuff, and then in my dream, we made it to the home. If you believe that, you'll have everlasting life. Well, you can't check the facts, right? So the statement that I get, now you could say, do you sleep, right? Like that might be the only fact that you could check. But in saying that I had a dream, I gave you a statement that's not falsifiable, okay? So why am I talking about all of this? The fascinating thing is that Christianity is the only view of reality that has tens of thousands of falsifiable elements. So for instance, Islam. All of Islam is built on the foundation of Muhammad having visions. There's no time, there's no place, there's no characters, um, there's no nations. It's, it, it, is, um, it, it is a non-falsifiable view of reality. Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautama is sitting underneath a tree and, and, says, and receives all of these visions about nirvana and about the afterlife and all of these things and what it means to, to follow the path and stuff like that. All of it is not falsifiable. That God in his mercy places thousands, tens of thousands of falsifiable details into his redemption story because he is real in time and place. And he is saying, I am not hiding. I am doing all of this in plain sight Yes, faith is a step, but it's a step into the light. It's a step down a well-lit path full of details that you could check. And Genesis chapter 10 is a lot of these details that people might think like, let's just skip over these times and places and all setting and all this stuff. Let's just skip it. And I think that we'll actually, if we slow down there, look more closely find treasures there. And so, so we saw the family of Japheth. Now we're going to look at the sons of Ham. Real person. And the most time in Genesis chapter 10 is spent on the sons of Ham, starting in verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Those are five people, or four people. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havila, Sabta, Ra'amah, and Sabteca. The sons of Ra'amah, 
Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Arach, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kalah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And the Jebusites, the Amorites, these are people groups, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemurites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza. Some of you have heard of the Gaza Strip. And in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham. By their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. All right, there's, there's those, that's a lot, right? It's like, there's a lot there. Uh, there is so much here. The sons of Ham. It's like, wow, the sons of Ham. Each place, so the, what we could do right now is go down this path of archaeology, of falsifiability. Um, we could talk so much about, okay, what do we know about each of these places? What are tablets that have been found from the Hivites? You know, and we could go down all of this road of like, um, hey, look at how even the evidence we have today and digs that people have done into each of these civilizations and what we know about each of these civilizations. Like, we could go that way, but I, the more I looked at this section, the more that I felt like it screamed a different message. Not that that's not important or valuable or worth our time, but I felt like this passage was like shouting something else. And what I realized was that in the whole story of the Bible, outside of the Romans in, in the New Testament, but the whole story of, of most of the Bible, these are all of the enemies of God's people. Even the first recipients of the book of Genesis being uh, people who had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt, one of Ham's, Ham's sons, to then being called to go into Canaan, which is a country that's full of the Jebusites, the Hivites, all these different smaller people group nations inside of Canaan. Um, they're going to face all of Ham's descendants. Ham remember, is a son who treated his father more as a joke than as a 
chosen man of God. He viewed his father's sin as something to mock as opposed to something to cover. And now all of his sons are moving in the direction of the world and not moving in the direction of the creator of the world. Um, The kingdom of Babel, Babylon, would be a kingdom that would go hard against Israel. Um, I had a chance to spend about a month in in Israel, and um, I found out about in Jerusalem, they were doing like an archaeological dig, and we had a whole day off in Jerusalem, and so I asked this person, like, I was like, do you know anybody who's a part of this dig? Can I spend my whole day off just a part of this dig? Because they were digging on the temple grounds, and were, were sifting through dirt that had been dug um, uh, against the rules. So it was the first time in human history uh, that people had actually dug into the ground of the temple ground. And uh, I was like, man, I, that would be worth eight hours of spending my time, you know, looking through that. And what was crazy is they had all these buckets like, oh, yeah, when you find sheep bones, put it in this bucket when, from all the sacrificial things that were happening in the Old Testament. Like when you find this, put it in this. I was like, there are that many sheep bones. It's like, yeah, we fill up five-gallon buckets all the time, you know, and all this stuff. But they had a, a thing where you put Babylonian spear tips because they found enough of when the Babylonians were going against Israel and were throwing spears that they would actually, the wood of the spear had, you know, been eaten away or whatever, but the, the spear tips were iron and, and were actually uh, still being found, and they could tell by the design that those were Babylonian spear tips. So, like, these are, like, real, um, real enemies of God's people who are seeking to destroy the temple. Um, the Syrians with Nineveh will inflict massive damage, will lead to the writing of the book of Isaiah, many things. The Philistines will be the chief enemies of David and of, of many of God's people during the period of the kings. And one person that's singled out in this section is Nimrod. And I know in our culture that's kind of like a, a way to like bring someone down. Um, and I think it actually comes from this from this man, um, but verses 8, 9, 10, 11 say that he is the first on earth to be a mighty man. I mean, imagine if that was said about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the first on earth to be a mighty man. That even there's, there's a saying, which maybe is even a song, that before the Lord, he's a mighty hunter. He seems to have unusual strength, unusual skill, as being the founder, you know, if it wasn't enough that it's like, oh, what have you started in your life? Oh, uh, Babel, Babylon? <laughs> oh, then when I was done with that, I went and started Nineveh and Assyria. It's like, whoa, those have been like for like a thousand years. That was like the most powerful empires on earth. And you started both of those. So it seems to have incredible skill in many areas, the founder of two great civilizations, um, and he has great hunting ability. He's a killer. Nimrod is a killer. Uh, He's a a mighty hunter before the Lord, and man, you probably should hope that he never wants to hunt you, right? Like, if you're like, yeah, this guy's a credible hunter, mighty man, founder of civilizations, um, Nations should fear a man like that. 
people should fear a man like that. Or so they say. And I, I, I was tempted to try to like bring down the significance of Nimrod. And Scripture isn't saying that. Scripture is trying to, I think is honestly saying, Nimrod, very powerful man, very skilled man, very powerful civilizations have come from him. And I do think there is mockery in these passages. Because the times that he is spoken of as a mighty hunter, it's always mentioned before the Lord. Before the Lord. That if you look at Nimrod, you're like, he is a mighty man. Wow, I would almost fear him if it wasn't for the, the of the two words. Like when you hear the word mighty, it's like, oh, and he's my enemy. He's against the things that I'm for. Like, you hear the word mighty, and that can be terrifying. But thankfully, there's another word there, the word man. Mighty man. When, I think when we look at a man, it may be a man that's even threatening us, or is founding civilizations that are going to threaten us, and that is, is genuinely mighty. Like, here are the 52 reasons why this is a mighty man. But you're saying, but he's a man, right? Yes. Okay, so God is bigger. God is mightier. So when it's like, he's a mighty hunter before the Lord, it's like, okay, but there's the Lord though, right? <laughs> and if there's the Lord, then the mighty is not so mighty. Because the Lord is mighty, like capital M, and this is like a nine-point font, little m. Even if he's founding Babylon and founding Assyria. And that's what we see get played out, is some of the greatest moments of the people who are being threatened by Ham's descendants. So we see like they send out these, this group of spies into Canaan. And these group of spies come out and be like, these people are huge. They make us look like ants. There's no way we can go and defeat them. That there's two people, Jacob and uh, um, Caleb, who are like, yeah, but we've got God. We could totally do this. And they're like, yeah, but they're really big. They're like, but they're men, and we've got God. We see times that... Uh, when it looks like the Assyrians are just going to wipe out, just wipe out Israel, that people like Isaiah are writing books saying, like, you guys have no idea who's coming. You guys have no idea what you're swept into and how powerful God is. You don't need to be afraid. When Goliath, remember, a son of Ham are the Philistines, the greatest Philistine, Goliath, biggest, strongest, comes up and is like, look how big and strong I am. Who will come against me? And it says the entire nation are petrified. Even the point that Saul says, I will give my daughter to any man that will fight Goliath and win. And people are like, uh-uh, <laughs> not me, not me. You know, and then this little punk kid 
David, who wasn't even supposed to be there, and, and all of his brothers are there, but he's not even seen as being strong enough to be there, shows up and he's like, this guy against the armies of God doesn't stand a chance. I know how to throw a rock. And God delivers an entire people because of someone who recognized that a mighty man is nothing compared to the might of God on your side. Thank you. So Japheth, that's Ham's story, and now we get to Shem. Verse 21. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah. Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shalef, Hazarmaveth, Gerar, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Meshah in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So this section is shorter. Japheth's section is shorter. Uh, obviously, Ham is the accomplished lineage, the lineage that great nations have come from. Uh, the phrase anti-Semitic, you know, we, we've heard the phrase anti-Semitic. This comes from Shem, anti-Shemitic. <laughs> so they've just dropped the H, but that is what anti-Semitic means, is that you hate the people of the region of Shem. Um, so even our culture uses this terminology of anti-Semitic, meaning the people of the Middle East, which is the territory, uh, being anti-Shem, uh, hating the descendants of Shem. And then the name Eber is mentioned right away, even though you see Eber isn't like, it says, to Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. Um, but then you say Eber, like, like Shem would be like the great-great-grandfather of Eber. Uh, but it's like, why this focus on Eber? Well, Eber is where the name Hebrew comes from. So, so all the Hebrew people are all the Eber people. Um, so, but one of the things I know you are just dying that like stood out so big that it was like, of course we're going to talk about this, is uh, what about Peleg's kids? We were all wondering that, right? <laughs> Obviously. Because um, you see how it was like, to, uh, verse 25, to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. And then it says, Joktan fathered all of these sons. And I love this about scripture. 
I love this about the heart of our Savior is like some of his best work sometimes is like kind of hidden around the corner and his kids like go looking for it and discover like there's a whole treasure chest there. And, um, and even how it says, for in his days the earth was divided. I think that's like a little clue, like, hey, there's a lot here. You might want to look. Um, so um, just kind of as a side note, random people that come from Peleg, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the mightiest man coming from Peleg, who, they, hey, I'm just going to leave out that part. I'm going to spend most of chapter 10 talking about Ham, the mighty people, the mighty men. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really emphasize <laughs> that there's a lot of mighty things on this earth. There's a lot of things that can seek to destroy you that are really strong. Oh, and yeah, Peleg, oh, and things were really divided at his time. And then just move on. Huge division between us and God. Huge divisions among people. The one that would come to bring peace between us and God. The one that would bring peace among us as a people. Allow us to truly look at each other and say, you are my brother, you are my sister. We have the same father. All of that is because of the descendants of Peleg. And it's like, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Right now we're talking about these mighty men who are seeking to destroy us. And you will encounter them. And the original recipients of this book, you will encounter so much that's seeking to, to destroy you. And it's mighty if all we look at are the mighty things of this world. And if we lean in and realize the rest of this is written to the, to the sons of, of Shem. Like, it's like, man, they didn't, get no, they didn't get a mention in Genesis chapter 10. It's like, yeah, but kind of got a mention in the rest of it. <laughs> and what is beautiful is uh, who we'll get to really soon. And, and the, the book is pivoting us towards focusing on, uh, we actually do get the lineage of the sons of, uh, of Peleg and everything. That is coming really soon. Uh, maybe we'll even get to it next week. Um, but is then for us to realize that you, here's the question. What lineage am I in? And I would argue that we are all sons of Ham. That is where we all come from. All of us come from there. We are all those who mock at God and mock at the things of God. That is all of our origin story. All of our origin story is that we are sons of Ham. And we can stay there Mock, making God a mockery, embracing the mighty things of this world, you know, which seems so, I think, seems so fickle, feel fickle to me. You know, even if, if, I was just thinking the other day, like, what if I would have just gone all in with the world and I was into computer programming and what if, like, I would have become, like, 
the top programmer of the Silicon Valley Bank. And I had gone all in and devoted my life to that. And I was making big money and all that stuff. And then in 48 hours, it just collapses. It's like, I put all my eggs in that basket. You know, I even, you know, I mean, just you could, you could play that out all the way. And been like, I, can't, I stayed in Ham's family. What is beautiful about, and it's such a gift to us, is Abraham, we are told, the reason that Abraham is, is, is truly like God's, walks with God, is not because of what's in his blood. It's not because of his blood lineage. Like we're told the reason that Abraham is God's is because of his faith. And that when we don't just believe in God, but we believe God. When we believe God, we are Abraham's children, is a way that the book of Romans teaches us. Like, we have the same relationship as if we were in, we, were, we have the blood of Shem running in our veins. But for us to realize, we have the blood of Ham running in our veins. We, we all, our origin story is, and we had Tuesday night, for those who are in my home, um, we had a, a membership interview thing, um, and man, it was, for me, hearing people, um, and I'm not trying to have everybody have FOMO here, but like, um, just to say, like, hearing people share their stories, I think we had 10, 11 people who just shared their testimonies, and man, from the world's perspective, it was probably like, man, that was kind of a bunch of sad stories of, of heartache and bad things and stuff. But every story had a, I met Jesus. And meeting Jesus has done this in my life. And to me, it felt like, like I was ready to just storm the gates of hell. <laughs> like right after uh, hearing people share their story and in brokenness and in confidence. And to realize like the offer for all of us is would you, would you have faith? Would you embrace by faith? Not, not a mindless faith that, that is like ignoring all of reality, but would you actually embrace reality, embrace this well-lit path that God has given us and say, hey, I, I believe not because, not because like against the evidence, but because of the evidence, because of what I'm feeling God doing in my life, because of what I'm seeing God do all around me, um, like, whatever threatens me, whatever feels mighty against me, it, in light of God, it is not mighty. He earned the only mighty place in our lives. The only mighty place, that, the only place of fear, it's so easy to feel such fear and anxiety and uncertainty. They felt it back then, we could feel it now, but to say, you know what, I'm not that way anymore. He's taught me a new way, a new way to be human. He's taught me a new way to walk with him. And what I would just ask each of us is like, it's good to think about like what threatens you right now? Like, what genuinely is threatening you? You might say, me. I know what I'm capable of. I am 
I feel very threatened by myself and what I'm capable of. You could say, well, my family, you know, it could be what could happen at work, what could happen with my kids, on and on and on. Like, what threatens you? Uh, then I think a, a good, this can feel like a cheesy answer, but I think can be a powerful answer is, let's really think about how big is our God? What threatens me and how big is my God? Is, is he mighty compared to that? Is he able to just in a moment, I love that in the book of Revelation, it's like the greatest battle that comes up. It'll never be depicted in film probably because it, it won't be anything to see. Is at the height of the greatest battle of good versus evil, Jesus just speaks and everything's over and he wins. Just one word from him, nothing more powerful can happen. And this is being put into God's people who he will use to build a nation, the people who first received the book of Genesis. And he calls us to do no less. He's placed us here not just to be good Christians who come to church and, um, you know, and just kind of play at this game, but he's actually calling us to be changed so that we can change our community and see it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we are like, like an outpost of the kingdom of God. Uh, we could also say like we're ambassadors and this is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven that, that we are seeking God to build in us and through us and he is big and he is near. You know, it would be great if he was just big and far away. We could all cope with that. But he promises to us that he is big and close. As close as he, he uses the imagery of a vine connected to the trunk. You know, or we could say like a limb connected to a tree. It's like that's really tight and close. And those fibers are really knit together in a thousand different ways. And that's how he's seeking for us to walk with him. What threatens me is not mighty. God, you are mighty, I'm yours. What threatens me is not mighty. God, you are mighty, I am yours. I mean, like, I, wanna, I want that to just be in my bones. <laughs> what threatens me is not mighty. What's threatening me right now is not mighty. God, you are mighty, I am yours. Man, like, could that be the proclamation of us as a people? Could that be the proclamation to our community, the change that is happening? Like, I mean, just hearing transformation that's happening in our midst and being like, that's right, man, those things that had a hold don't seem to have the hold. God, you are mighty, I'm yours. Lord, would you allow that to be true of us? Would you plant us firmly in this soil? The mighty things they're seeking to turn our world upside down. Um, Lord, we want you to be the one that's turning our world right side up because you are mightier still. Lord, I thank you for this chapter of the Bible that's subtle and significant, that could be overlooked and could change us all. And God, you, you work that way. It's the narrow path, not the wide path broad road, that road leads to destruction. 
that your narrow path leads to life. Would we walk with you and with each other in it? Jesus, we pray.